Welcome back to another episode. I am your host, Stephen Morris. And as always, I got a, a great guest lined up for you today. But before we dive in, it is Christmas Eve and there's still time to get that last minute gift before the new year of setting purposeful success goals. These goals are goals that drive your life where you actually want it to go rather than making a stupid New Year's resolution that doesn't even see the light of February. So if that's you or if that's someone you know, go to renownedleadership.com slash goal and go ahead and get that amazing gift and you'll get to work with me one-on-one -on, -one on how to set goals that actually carry you into a purposeful driven life. Now, today's guest, her name's Neelu Carr and she is a author, she is a coach, she is a mentor and she's a woman's advocate. So I hope y'all enjoy. Without further ado, here we go. Neither, thank you so much for joining me on today's episode of the podcast. Um, I'm really excited because you're possibly one of the most educated people that, that I've had on here. I mean, I was going through your resume and it's like, title after your name, title after your name, title <laughs> after your name. And it's not just like, you've been to pretty awesome schools too. You know, you've been to New York, um, Columbia. Um, yes. what, what drove you to get so much education? Like, what was it passion? Was it just, you got done with one degree and you're like, oh, this is so cool. And then you just chase that degree as well. You know, no one's ever asked me why I chose the schools that I chose. And I think I knew very early on that I was going to be measured on my credentials. Whereas, you know, being an immigrant in the U.S., I think there's there's actually research that indicates that, you know, if you're a white man, if you're a tall white man and you walk into a room, you are judged on your potential. So I knew very early on that I was not I, I stuck out. And so that made me realize that I needed to get credentialed. And that's really what drove me to go to some of the best schools in the country. I'm just curious, like, how, are you one of those people that, that this education stuff like that comes natural for? Because my daughter, she got a full ride scholarship to uh, North Carolina State University, who has one of the, the top um, bioengineering programs in the world. And she makes it look flawless, so easy. Uh, but I know her and I know how hard she's had to work and she it's not easy for her. She just works that hard. She's that disciplined. What was it? Was it fairly easy for you or was it 365 days a year just busting it as hard as you could to get things done? Yeah, I think it was that way. The latter, which is that it was very challenging for me and specifically you know, there's a stereotype that Asians are really good at math and science. And I am probably the one of the Asians out there that is not good at math and science. And so my my family was saying, specifically my dad, because he paid for my undergrad degree. And he said, I'm not sending you to just get like a four-year degree in something like psychology, which is what I really wanted to do. He's like, you need to do something where you can earn money. And it was always about earning money because as immigrants, it's about survival. So I went to business, I went to NYU Stern School of Business, which is one of the most competitive business schools. Whether you go for undergrad or grad school is very competitive. And I found myself studying endless and just burning out and just being very anxious and not really enjoying that experience. Whereas 
with Columbia, I actually focused on what I really love, which is psychology. I went back and did my master's in social and organizational psychology. So to answer your question, I think if you're learning what you love, so I'm a continuous ed junkie. I love learning about the way the mind works, about neuroscience, about holistic health, about uh, you know anything related to improving oneself. So I consume that content and it, it's pretty easy for me to consume and retain that content. But if I am learning something that is not that doesn't come as easy to me, like math or science and things of that nature. Of course, I'm going to I'm going to have to work, you know, much harder than my colleagues and my the other students that were in my school. Yeah, that, I think that's a very important lesson to understand. Is uh, you know, if if you're truly chasing passion, yeah, right. you're you're going to have to work. Like, and I don't want listeners to think you're you're saying it wasn't a challenge because I'm sure Columbia University is one of the that's a that's a challenging school but you don't realize how much work it is because you truly love what you're doing you're fascinated by it it's one of those things you know working in my for my company um you know i can come in here on a saturday morning to just fix something on my website at eight o'clock in the morning and before i know it my wife's coming in telling me it's dinner time asking me if i'm coming to eat and it's like holy crap i just spent you know, seven, eight hours in here without taking a break. And I had no idea. And it's because I'm truly passionate. I truly love what I'm doing. And so I think, you know, one of the, one of the things I try to get people to focus on is what is your true purpose? Not what the world tells you your purpose is, you know, and you're a great example of that. And I'm not trying to bash on your dad for any stretch. No, of the imagination. No, absolutely I not. I mean, he, he did what he could. Like he, he was basically modeling the behavior that was taught to him. And as an immigrant, that's what you do. So I don't fault him for that at all. Right. Right. But, and, but that's my, and that's my point is the world is going to say, Hey, you need to do this thing, but your, your purpose may not be that thing. You got to align with what, what your purpose is. And so I, I think you're a great example of that because I, and I'm putting words in your mouth. So correct me if I'm wrong. You wouldn't be near the success you are today had you pursued everyone else's vision of what your life would look like. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the areas that I focus on with organizations that I work with and with individuals is really thinking about, you know, there are cultural expectations. There's sometimes societal expectations and we can fall prey to just going and being robotic about it. But I really want to... And, invite people to ask themselves what what they enjoy doing and figuring out a way to make money from doing what they enjoy absolutely i agree wholeheartedly i can't speak today anyway I, you know it's funny i was doing a, a testimonial video for for one of my coaches um i hired a sales coach named manny vargas great dude great dude that guy could sell anything i swear he can um but uh, he asked me to do a testimonial for him. And I'm like, yeah, sure, man. So I, I, I've spent the latter part of my morning trying to record a video testimonial. And it's like, you would think I've never been on a camera before. I just couldn't talk. It was so frustrating. And so anyway, this is remnants of, of being tongue tied earlier today. So you said you're, you're a continual learner, which I love that I am too. My mentor told me that, um, uh, a long, long time ago that you'll never have a wasted day in your life as long as you learn at least one new thing in that day. And I, I've taken that to heart. So I'm constantly trying to educate myself. And one of my big things right now is AI. Well, what mm -hmm. do you think? What are you thinking of AI right now? Have you dabbled in it at all? I have. And 
mixed feelings. Like some, you know, I can go to chat GPT and grab some research pretty quickly. I think where we can fall a little bit, where, where there's some challenges is when people use verbatim what's coming from there and write blogs or post articles or start publishing content that's verbatim without their own voice. And I think that that's going to be a problem, an upcoming problem, if it's not already. Yeah, I, I think that's that, that's big because Google is starting to penalize, quote unquote, for AI created content going out. So, I mean, we're, we're going to have to start being really careful, um, which is kind of frustrating to me because I am not a good SEO person. And I love you having ChatGPT or another AI to help me with my with my SEO. And now I'm scared too because I'm afraid if uh, if I use ChatGPT to do that, then Google's gonna just like nope and take me out of the algorithm, which would really suck. So I mean, are are you okay with Google penalties coming along like like they're starting to do? I actually wasn't even aware of that, and I oh really. I yeah, I wasn't even aware. And my question for my question around that is like, what are the parameters? Like what would be penalized and what would not be penalized? I have no idea. So from my understanding, and I am not a tech junkie by any stretch of the imagination, but from my understanding is if it's straight AI driven content, obviously the algorithm can tell. Um, and so they are just, they're not like penalizing you as like taking your website, like unlisting your website. They're just taking it out of the, the search parameters. So, you know, you type, if you type in renowned leadership right now, my website will be what pops up. Right. If you, but if they, they penalize me for using strictly AI driven content, then they will just take that out and you'll have to search for me directly. I won't come up in the search results. Uh, to my understanding, that's the penalty and it's strictly the they're pretty strict about it like it's got to be solely ai driven content none if it has original content at all they leave you alone from my understanding i don't know but i i am okay with it because i feel like i feel so i'm torn because i'm i'm of the nature people should get to do what they want to do as long as it doesn't hurt anyone else like let people be stupid if um however I feel like you solely relying on AI is such a dangerous road to go down because I mean, think, think about how stupid technology has made us, right? How many, how many people do you know that can still do the, you know, multiplication table up to 50 in their head, right? Like, I certainly can't. <laughs> I can't either. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, what, what's 49 times seven? I don't know. Like, hang on. Let me get my phone. Like, exactly. Um, or, or just, you know, how many people can use in a dictionary or an encyclopedia? Like I, I learned when I was a kid, but I, I don't remember, like, I'm sure I could use a dictionary and encyclopedia. I don't know. Um, but you know, the, these are skills we're losing the Dewey decibel system in the library. Like I probably just broke people's brain because they haven't heard it in so long, like all these things. So I feel like it's a, it's a good parameter to stop us from, from just, falling down the pit even further of stupidity. Mm. Yeah. 
I mean, I don't, I, I guess I, for, for me, the concern is really for those, like, for example, you used SEO as an example. There are people that are specialized and are experts in SEO. So thinking that they would no longer have a job, like, you know what I mean? Like the thought of that is like, wait a second, where do we draw the line with AI? And yes, we want to be technologically advanced, but there's also people out there whose jobs and livelihoods would suffer. And I know right. that sort of happens. That's evolutionary. It happens uh, if we look at what technology has done. And, and so it's just a thought I always have. I'm sorry. I was just wondering, AI is kind of the hot topic right now. So I always try to try to interject it a little bit into the conversation just because uh, everyone has a little bit of, of a different take. Um, I, I talked to a guy a couple of weeks ago who is convinced that this, you know, chat GPT is Skynet and um, the Terminators are coming soon. So um and then i have other people who are like it's not going to take anyone's job we just have to learn how to use the tool so i mean it's it's interesting to see how diverse people's opinion are of ai um so you talked about something a little bit ago about uh, neuro neurodiversity and so this is fairly new to me um i don't know if you've ever heard of her have you ever uh oh shoot dr caroline leaf does that name sound familiar no yeah. Um, she's the the scientist, neuroscientist that coined the term neuroplasticity. Mm -hmm. um, basically, you know, the brain can constantly change based on our thoughts. Right. Um, and I I love I love this science and I love learning about it because it, it's it's it feels good to know we're not put in a box. Does that make sense? Like we can, we can change literally the structure of our brain just by the way we, we choose to think. Um, can you talk about uh, what got you into, uh, you know, the neurosciences and um, what fascinates or what, what you've learned that just fascinates you to know in? Yes. So the area I focus on is NLP, neuro-linguistic programming, and that's really about language. And so the idea is that we, in order for us to become sort of master communicators, we meet people where they are at their bus stop. We don't expect people to come to our bus stop. So when you were saying that your brain can be changed by the way we think, I would go one step further and say our brains can be changed by the way we speak to ourselves and the way we speak to others. So before we can speak to others in a resourceful way, we have to learn to speak to ourselves in a resourceful way. So I think that's the area that I really like to focus on is the internal dialogue that we have because the way we speak to ourselves basically can change our whole outlook of life and every experience. And so yeah, that's where I, my focus is, is around language and the way we speak to ourselves. Another thing you specialize in is mindfulness, correct? Correct. So that's another new, th new term, I think. Um, you didn't hear it a whole lot a few years ago. And now all of a sudden it's like, yeah, I'm struggling with this. We need, we need to practice mindfulness. And I remember hearing it and I still have the thought of what does that actually mean to practice mindfulness? And there are so many definitions and I'm one of the people that really think that let's simplify as much as we can. So to me, being mindful is tapping into one sense. So we have five senses. You can literally stop and just focus in the moment through one of the five senses. And if you do that, you are being mindful. And how does that help you, help you? So for example, if you are dealing with a racing mind or ruminating thoughts, which often we do, right? Like in order for us to stop that cycle or that downward spiral, we can literally focus on our breath. 
And that brings you to this state of present moment, which is being mindful. Or you can say, I'm going to feel my feet uh, against the floor. And you're focusing on the sense of touch. And that brings you back to the moment, right? So it's anything using your five senses that bring you back to the moment. So literally, you just focus on, like, I'm touching my desk right now. And I just focus on how that feels. And right. Or, yeah. Or you could say, I am, if you had your window open and you smelled something that your neighbor was cooking, you would say, oh, I smell barbecue or whatever your neighbor's cooking. Right. And mm -hmm. then you're back to the present moment. So the idea is that we, we can catastrophize about the future. We can ruminate about the past, but when we're in the present moment is when we're mindful. And so in order to get back to the present moment, focus on one of the five senses. Uh, I actually like it a lot because catastrophizing is one of my big um, hot button points. I've seen it happen so many times, uh, whether it was in combat or, uh, you know, people with PTSD or, or uh, leaving the military. Um, catastrophizing is always, you know, one of the most devastating things you can do to yourself. And it's a vicious cycle. Once you start it, um, it's really hard to stop. And it's something I went through for three and a half years uh, after I retired, because I, looking back, I know now it's because I lost my sense of purpose. But, um, you know, leading leading up to where I am today, it was just constant bitterness, angry. Um, you know, I, I gained 80 pounds in 10 months, um, which is incredibly unhealthy. But it's funny because the more weight I gained because I had stopped exercising and was eating my emotions, um, the more weight I gained, the more angry and depressed I got. And the more depressed and angry I got, the more I ate. And really, uh, you know, the, that exercise of just bringing, bringing reality to yourself. And I think that's really what catastrophizing does is it takes you out of reality, right? Because you know, the, the way I look at it now is what is the worst possible thing that can happen to you? Well, I could end up dead in a gutter with a heroin needle stuck in my arm. That, that's the worst possible scenario in my life, right? What, are, what is the likelihood that's going to happen? Well, I don't do drugs, so pretty, pretty low. Um, and, and I've never done drugs, so I don't even have that in my history. So that, that, that happening is fairly low. So then you can slowly pull yourself back to reality. But when you're catastrophizing, like that, that vision of being dead in a gutter with a heroin needle stuck in my arm is very, very real at the moment. Right. So I, I love, how do you, uh, do, do you coach people on, on breaking that cycle? I mean, we can coach people through language, right? This is what you're, what are you telling yourself? So when you are catastrophizing about being in a ditch with a heroin needle, it's like, what <laughs> are you saying to yourself, right? And then we can work through the language. We can use your breath, right? So there's different things to use to return to the present moment. And I think for me, it really depends on who I'm working with. So to, based on the audience, right? So if I'm working with technologists who are very logical, logical focused, I would I would have them work on their language. Like, what are they talking to? The, what are they saying to themselves? What's the language that they're talking to themselves in, right? Or sorry, not the language, but what is the dialogue that they're talking the to? The self-talk, yeah. The self-talk, right. You know, it's funny because I was I was telling you about um, that testimonial I did for my friend Manny. 
And that's actually one of the things I, um, I talked about is one of the best qualities Manny has is he doesn't expect you to go to his level. He, he will come to your level and, and train you and teach you how to get to his level. And, you know, it goes back to something I was taught in the military that if you're, if you're commu- trying to communicate to someone and not, not just a combat situation, any situation, and they're not picking up what you're putting down, then that's not their fault. You're not communicating to them in a way that they can understand. And it's your responsibility as the communicate communicator. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Communicator? Yeah. Yep. Communicator um, to, to change your language so that they can understand you. Is that correct? Yeah, I would say yes. And also I would add that not only do we want to meet people where they are, but we want to meet ourselves where we are. So today I'm at a different place than I was maybe yesterday or I will be tomorrow. Mm. So even as a leader, you know, we ha- we hold ourselves to high standards. I coach a lot of executives who are there for a reason, like they're in that position for a reason. And so when you're holding yourself to such a high standard, it's like even thinking through the process of today, I'm going to meet myself where I am. So if I'm overworked, if I'm overwhelmed, I'm going to take a step back and do something different. So I, I say yes. And to your statement about not only meeting others where they are, but meeting yourself where you are in the moment. And, and another thing I think catastrophizing does. Um, so catastrophizing breaks down your communication. We already talked about how it breaks down your self-talk. Um it breaks down how you communicate with others. It also breaks down your confidence, right? And like, you know, sitting here talking to you, obviously you're a very confident woman. Um, I'm a pretty confident dude myself, um, but we're not infallible one. Our confidence can be damaged, but confidence is so important uh, on a daily basis. And I'm not talking about being cocky or arrogant. I'm just talking about that, that daily confidence of, I can go do that. Um, where, where, what gave you, where does your confidence come from? Does it, does it come from your upbringing or, uh, is it self con did, did you just, uh, <laughs> you rolled your eyes, why are you rolling your eyes? No, I'm rolling my eyes because no, I did not learn to be confident from my immigrant parents who were literally like, just keep your head down. So that, that's one of the things that I cover in my book as well. Be your own cheerleader. Uh, so one of the things that I talk about in the book is, confidence because we come if you come from an immigrant culture or you come from an asian or a south asian culture one of the things you're taught to do is just keep your head down and just do your work and not stick out in any way so confidence can be sort of diminished if you start if you start to showcase that you're doing something well or you start to stick out in any way our asian cultures actually don't don't encourage that so your confidence to come out and start speaking up for yourself in corporate America or in North America is just not there. So that's really why I was rolling my eyes because that is absolutely not the place I learned to be confident. And I still struggle for, I mean, we're human, right? So some days mm-hmm. we wake up and we feel more confident than other days. And I think confidence is something that's an inner resource that we all have and we can tap into, but it's a daily practice to do that. Right. And so what, what do you do to practice that then? It really depends. So if I'm speaking, if I'm doing a, a talk or a speech or yeah, I'm talking somewhere, I'm speaking, I'm facilitating. Before I get up on stage, before I'm about to facilitate, there are things that I'll do in order to tap into that internal resource, right? So I have my own practices. And I think that's what I work with a lot of women on, especially if they're presenting or they're 
you know, in front of their colleagues and they have to present something or they're about to present at a town hall. It's like tapping into that confidence happens with prep, prepping for the, for the talk, but also, you know, what's going on internally. What are they telling themselves? Who's really in charge, right? Oftentimes, and that's a chapter in my book about, we often put the smaller children in charge and the adult has to take over. And so there's a process that we can go through where we can build confidence when we let the adult emerge through. So when you say smaller, you, you're meaning like the inner child. Correct. And there's multiple versions of our inner child, right? So, you know, for me, I often get stuck at like 15 or 16. I had some traumatic things that happened. So sometimes when I do, when I feel not confident, it's not the adult version of me. It's the 15 year old adolescent version. So one of the things that you, what we must do is sort of like take care of that 15 year old before the adult can emerge. That's interesting. because So... So, you know, growing up for me, um, I was not the, you know, the big fit um, guy. Um, I was short. I was fat. <laughs> I looked like a little really bully. Um, and I say that jokingly, um, not shaming myself for anything. But it's true. You know, I was short and I was very chubby um, for my age. And um, that destroyed my confidence. And man, you wouldn't believe where that shows up, right? If I'm in a restaurant and I think someone's watching me, oh, it shows up, right? And they don't even care. They don't know me. What they could, you know, and I'm a fit guy now. Like I'm not, I'm not overweight. I, I'm big, I'm muscular, you know, I'm in shape, but it's still like, I can, it'll ruin my meal, like straight up. And I've never actually put the two and two together that that's what it comes from. I bet that's what it comes from is the, the, the not trauma, but the, the experience of, of being made fun of for being short and fat in school. And yeah. right. And depending on, I don't know how old do you, do you have an age that, that you might associate um, that? With? I would say 11 to about 16. Hey everyone, Steven here. As we gear up for the new year, I've got something super special for you today. But before we dive in, make sure you hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up and ring that notification bell so you can always experience the motivation and inspiration and the tips that we bring to you every single week here. Now let's talk about New Year's resolutions. How many times have you set a resolution only to have it fizzle out by the beginning of February or before January is even close to being over? Well, not this time. I've got a game-changing program that will teach you how to set goals that actually stick and that will propel you towards success in both your personal and professional life. Imagine saying goodbye to the cycle of failed resolutions. Picture yourself achieving what you set out to do and it's all possible with our proven methods that I've been perfecting for over 20 plus years. We'll be diving deep into the art of effective goal setting. And it's not just about writing down your goals. It's about a strategic approach that guarantees success. Go to renownedleadership.com forward slash goals to learn more. And let's make 2024 your best year yet. We only take 25 new goal setters every month and spots fill up fast. So make sure you get yours today. And for this month only, if you uh, use coupon code RENOWNGOALS at checkout, you'll get 20% off. Again, 
Spots fill up fast, so make sure you get yours today. So if you're tired of the same old resolutions that never work, join us on this journey. Remember, goals are within your reach. Sign up now. Let's make 2024 your best year ever. What you do is you think about what the child at that age, so the 11-year-old, what did he like to do? So if he liked to play or if he was playing sports, actually, what did the 11-year-old like to do? Um, Man, I, I, I go outside and play soldier, play G.I. Joe. Right. So you're playing and then ideally you want a caretaker there. So it could be someone living, it could be someone who's passed, it could be a religious figure, someone sort of watching over that 11 year old. So who, you know, think about who that, who that caretaker would be. That, that would be my mom. Perfect. So your mom is, you're actually visualizing this before, say you're at the restaurant and you're having this experience of anxiety and you're thinking, oh, someone's, th someone's looking at me. You would visualize your mom taking care of the 11 year old so that the 40 year old or however old you are could come through. And have a different experience. And so what happens is it sounds like it's an arduous process, but you literally, the more you do it, the easier it becomes. Right. You just identify like what age am I that I'm experiencing this imposter syndrome or this lack of confidence, right? And then you address it by having a caretaker take care of that part of you. And then the adult can come through. That That is interesting. I'm going to try that. I'm definitely going to have to try that. And, and it's so funny because like I said, I didn't even realize that that's where that came or possibly comes from, I guess I'm, I don't know for sure, but, but yeah, and it's crazy anytime, you know, if I'm sitting a specific way that makes my belly look bigger than it actually is, like, as soon as I realize it, I, I can't just like, I'm constantly worried about my physique and I wonder, I bet it does come from that. So that's, that's funny. Yeah. eye opening. Thank you. Yeah. And also, and not just one age, right? There could be multiple. So I, I have something at 15, 16, and then also at 18 and maybe at seven, right? Like there's all these younger parts and sometimes they just need to be taken care of so that you can actually be the confident adult man that you are. Yeah. And so you talked about something else, which is, I, which is a different spectrum, at least for me. And that's imposter syndrome. Um, I think and I'm not a woman, so I can't speak for women, but I think for men, men constantly feel like imposters. Like we always feel like we never measure up and we're good enough. Um, I think for some of us, it's worse than others. Um, I'm sure women go through a similar thing, but for me, man, when I started this company, oh boy, you talk about imposter syndrome. Like it was hard. I don't It was hard to do this, right? Like I'm just having a conversation with someone like, I've had conversations with people my entire life. Like, how do I have imposter syndrome about this? But I did. And I was so scared that my, the person I was talking to on the other end was going to figure out that I don't really know what I'm talking about. And, you know, I'm really not a podcast host and yada, yada, yada. And it is so freaking destructive in, in your mindset. And it is so, it just drains your energy right out of your life. Like you just, I don't know it imposter syndrome I never really experienced it at this level until I started doing this now in the military I never really had it but then I started this and oh my god you talk about I, it's just hard to get up sometimes 
And, you know, and it's funny that you tell me that men experience it because I feel like women experience it more than men and there's really indicates it, but thank you for shedding that. I mean, I do, I coach a lot of men, but I feel like the women I coach deal with imposter syndrome more than the men that I coach. So it's just interesting based on who you speak to. I think we all deal with imposter syndrome and I think it's a multi-step approach, right? Like when you were thinking, I'm not going to be a good podcaster or how can I do this? How can I be this podcaster, there was an internal dialogue going on, right? So it's like identifying the dialogue, but also whose voice is it? Is it actually your voice? Is it sort of this critical parent's voice? Is it a critical sibling's voice? Like whose voice is it? So that could be one of the questions you ask yourself. And the other is, is is it really the adult version of me speaking? And chances are it's not. Again, it's addressing those smaller, younger parts. Yeah. And so I think uh, that's interesting. I, 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 I'll look up that research because I've never seen. I think possibly, though, it's that men don't want to admit it. Right. And don't want to address it. Right. Um, which I think for me, that's a big part. Like I really had to learn like within my coaching and consulting firm and then on the podcast and in my writing, I really had to learn to be vulnerable. And my entire life is like, I don't care what people think about me. That was a lie. Um, and anyone that says that genuinely, like they're, they're probably lying. We all care what people think to some degree. Um, I had to learn to tune it out, right? I still care, right? It still hurts my feelings when like, dude, you're the worst writer in the world. Like, and I've been told that a few times. Still hurts, but I just tune it out and don't think about it. But I mean... And I don't know if that's the right and healthy way to do it, but that's how I do it. Um, But I I think I had to learn to be able to talk about this stuff, to be open about it, to be transparent. And I I forced myself to do it, to learn it, because like I said at the beginning, I want this to be a conversation that brings value to people's lives. And so if other men or women can learn like, hey, I need to be open. I need to be transparent about these things. I need to talk about these things because the only way we get to grow is to get a lot of this stuff, just get it out. You know, I, like yesterday, I, I was so frustrated, so frustrated. I had such a bad day. And so I just went to my wife and was like, I need to complain. And she's like, go. And for the next 30 minutes, I just ranted. And she's just doing her thing. Just, I don't even know if she was listening to me. I just needed to yell at somebody. And she, I, I finally shut up and she looked at me and goes, you done? I'm like, yeah, I think I'm good. Thanks. <laughs> I came back to my office and started working, but I felt so much better just getting it out. Right. Right. And so I feel like that that's a big problem that all of us should address is we need to be more open and more transparent. The problem is, Neela, is that this isn't always a safe world to be that person. So how do we address that? I think it's who you surround yourself with. So for you, you had your wife, right? I have my partner. I think you find who you can do that with. And it could be a community. It doesn't just have to be your husband or your wife. It can be your community. It can be your, if you're a part of a, like, let's say your children go to soccer and there's other parents there, right? Like, so you're constantly looking for places where you feel safe to be vulnerable. Right. And uh, it's just, how important is that to your mental health? I, mean, I think it's gotta it's, be, I think it's so important because the more we keep things bottled up, the more it, it's like, we're going to be like an, a volcano and just explode. Right. And in certain cultures, mental health is considered so taboo. So even now, I think in American culture, we can be more open about it and discuss it, I think, but in other cultures where you grow up, where it's not 
talked about, like in Asian culture and South Asian culture, you don't talk about mental health. So that's where you see a lot of mental health challenges is because it's not openly discussed. Or they'll say, you know, drink a glass of milk and go to bed. You'll be fine. Right. Like these are <laughs> these are temporary solutions. These are not going to address mental health issues. Right. So find your community, find, and you know, sometimes it requires therapy and there and that's okay, right? If it's future focused where you want to change something, that's when I say hire a coach. If it's something you want to delve deeply in and it's in your past, that's where you want to work with a therapist. But so find find the support that you need. I think the onus is on all of us to find that support. Right. And, and I think that support is just so important because like I said, had I not been able to go vent at my wife, right. Um, and, you know, I, I don't want people to hear that and be like, oh, Stephen's verbally abusive. No, I wasn't yelling at her. I was just yelling to her. Um, it, she knew she wasn't taking it personal. She knew I wasn't, it was just me getting everything off my chest. And had I kept, like you said, kept that bottled up, my product productivity the rest of the day would have been garbage because I would have been constantly just thinking and reeling about what everything that had me down. And I think corporations really, I don't really know how they can address it effectively, but I think it's something we need, need to start thinking about and talking about because I feel like work environments are just getting more and more toxic in this regard. And it is not healthy for anyone. It is not good for productivity, which means it's bad for the company's bottom lines, which means they need to head this off from the beginning. Like now that we're seeing these problems and I think, I, I don't know, how does a company address this problem within itself, within its employees in itself? I think I was just going to add to that, that we can have that community or those friends or our partners at home, but at work, it, it's sometimes really challenging Sometimes you can't trust your colleagues. I say, you know, in many of the environments that I coach in, it's it are they are toxic environments. And it's so I say to the person I'm coaching, find someone you trust in the organization, because if you come out of a meeting and let's say you're in the headspace that you were in yesterday, you will you will probably say something you will regret and you're triggered mm -hmm. in some way. So it's better to find either that person. And if you can't find the person at work who's there for you call your partner, call your friend, call your mom, you know, just get it off your chest before you go to the next meeting, because it, you, you are tr in a triggered state. Right. Or it can even be the barista down the street, you know, that you've befriended, you know, right. obviously right. I don't go yell at a stranger, but uh, you know, it can just be the newspaper guy on the stand down at, at the bottom by your door, like befriend someone and you, you need that confidant. So important. And just, this is a completely random thought. I just want to know. Um, you were talking earlier about Asian culture and Asians are um, kind of taught to keep your head down and try, avoid the spotlight. Um, and I know you're big on empowering women to, to find their voice. So, so I, I assume I think correctly that that keeping your head down also applies to women. Does it apply more to women to to keep their head down and be quiet in, so in the, Asian cultures? So in Asian and South Asian cultures, it's very collective and very we based. And North America is very individual, very I based. Right. So what happens is when you come from a we based culture or you're raised by we based parents from that culture, you are taught to keep your head down, not stick out. And so self-promotion and self-advocacy becomes very challenging. And so I empower AAPI women 
to find their voice. And I really like to share one tool that I think helps not just Asians and South Asians, but introverts, neurodivergent folks, like anyone who struggles with self-advocacy. I say, think of a dial, like the speedometer on your car. And so there's a we side and there's an I side. And so knowing your context, know where you are and know when you have to turn up or down the dial. So if you're at work, and you're in a performance review conversation, that's when you wanna turn up your eye. You have to talk about yourself, your accomplishments, all the things you worked on, versus if you're in a group brainstorm with your team, that's when you wanna turn up the we, where you're gonna use more shared language, our deliverables, our goals, Mm -hmm. our outcomes, right? So you know that you have the ability to adjust that dial. And I think that tool in itself has helped so many people that I've coached just knowing that they can still be true to the culture that they come from, but in a specific context, they're just sort of navigating this dial. I love that you talk about self-advocacy. Um, there, there's that tongue twister again. Um, one, of, one of my big talking points recently has been that I'm sick of these giant corporations um, thinking that human beings are a replaceable resource, right? Um, and my solution to this is to train everyone I can that the that you are not a replaceable resource to your company, your company is a replaceable resource to you. And to teach people that you are basically the CEO of your own brand, which is you. You are a brand. And if you conduct yourself, conduct your professional life uh, as that then you're going to be able to market yourself and engage as your brand with all these organizations. And you're going to bring so much more value, not just to the organization, but to yourself. And that's my solution to this because I've seen, you know, the company my dad worked for, for many, many years. Um, And I mean, I think over 50, over 50 years. Um, They didn't even give him a gift when he retired. Like he just stopped going to work. There was no party celebration, nothing. He just, yeah, you're done. You're good. Ouch. Goodbye. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. That's that's more than half his life spent at this company. And I'm talking hard work, 12 hours a day, six days a week, you know, vast majority of his life. And they didn't even give him a pin, you know, didn't even give him a, a, a barbecue party or something. And that's very, that frustrates me to no end because they they just showed my dad he wasn't valuable. All that time he spent, which we can agree, time is our most valuable resource. All that resource, that most valuable resource he gave to that company, he got absolutely nothing out of it except a paycheck. Woo. I mean, you know, you can get a paycheck anyplace. So like that, that kind of empowering your, your self-advocacy Uh, It's so important, so important, Nilu, because you just, you cannot let companies treat you this way anymore. Do do you see that a lot? Do you see companies treating their employees that way? Well, before I can even talk about employees like myself, I kept getting constantly getting laid off or fired before I decided to start my own business. But I think the reason that was the case is not because I wasn't doing amazing work. It was because I wasn't talking about what I did. And I noticed those around me were much more inclined to talk about their accomplishments. They were definitely able to be their own cheerleader and I wasn't. And it, it's really like mm. the last downsizing that I had where I looked around and I noticed that the people that were still there after I was escorted to my chair to get all of my belongings within a few minutes, I, I realized when I looked around that the people that were in their chairs were really good at self-advocacy. 
because I would always hear them in meetings talking about themselves, talking about what they did. And I just felt like I'm going to do great work and my work is going to show up, showcase itself. And that's not the case. And so I empower women to grab the mic and really be their own cheerleaders. That, that's, I've never had that happen to me. Mm-hmm. What, what's that experience like? Like they literally escorted you to your chair? Yeah. So you, I was eating lunch. I got a call saying, come to the conference room. I mean, at this point, everyone kind of knew that that it could happen to them. I just wasn't expecting it that particular day. And I really didn't know. I thought maybe I can make it through this round also. So I was eating lunch and then I was told to come to the conference room. And in the conference room was my manager and HR. And they told me that they were letting me go. And then, yeah, they said, you have 10 minutes to go to your desk please don't talk to anyone around you. Don't share anything that we've talked about. Grab your things and whatever you cannot take in 10 minutes, we will mail to your home. And so you are treated like a a criminal. And that wasn't the first time. I've been through that numerous times. So the the last time that happened to me, it was a large financial services company in Manhattan. It was 2013. And I realized at this point, I'm never going to have anyone tell me they don't want me anymore. Oh, that blows my mind. They actually walk you to your desk. Holy crap. Like, yeah, totally. It's like treating you like an inmate, like you've done something wrong. Well, because there's a fear that you would be angry and that you might lash out and you might hurt someone or so they have the uh, security person. Yeah, they have a security guard take you. And and I I was actually really good friends with the security guard. I would talk to him every day and he felt horrible. He just the look on his face when he was walking me to my desk. He's like, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, it's not his fault, you know, but I, yeah. I just thought that experience alone just makes you think, you know what, I'm not working for anyone and, and having myself subjected to this anymore. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I, I didn't even realize when I talk about how horribly companies treat their employees, that is not even, that wasn't even on my radar. I didn't even realize that happened. Um, it's not, like I said, it's never happened to me. That doesn't happen in the military. Um, so, I mean, Wow. I actually have a few, a few folks that I coach that work in tech and they recently lost their jobs and they work for large tech companies and they were, they actually tried to log in. So everyone's still remote, mostly like they're just going in twice Mm -hmm. a week. They're at home, they're wake up, they log in and they can't access anything. So they did not get an email. They did not get a call. They did not get a text saying, Hey, you've lost your job. Like you literally wake up and you cannot log in. What? And then you're calling the help desk, you're calling IT. This actually happened to a few of my clients. And they said that they were, they called and they said, we're sorry to let you know you've been terminated. Oh man, that is so not how you do business people. That is if, listen, if you're one of these companies and you do that, stop it. Ah, it makes me so mad. Yeah. It makes me, you do not treat people that way. Your job has been terminated. Maybe you should talk to your manager. And then they'll, so they found out from IT before they found out from their direct manager, which is just inhumane. Man. And and that's the thing. Like, so we want the bet. We want people, all we talk about all day long is how we want people to give their best, you know, to be motivated, which is the wrong idea. You don't want your employees to be motivated. You want them to be inspired. But we, we talk about, oh, you know, we want our employees to be motivated and produce. And if they do, they get, but then you turn around and treat them like that. Like right. that, that's such a, 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 two, a hypocritic, um, two-sided, uh, I don't, I'm a man talk. I, I'm at a loss for words. That, that blows my mind. I can't believe that happens. 
So I think it's really important if you're in the job market and you're looking for a job to really look at the culture of the company. Like if you know that this mm -hmm. company is known to do this, it may not be the place for you because there are companies out there that are more humane and maybe they're smaller. Maybe you go to a mid-sized company or a smaller company. I think some of these large companies, when you have say 40,000 employees, you can literally be treated like a number every day. And so the choice is yours. There's There are other companies out there that treat you better than some of these large companies yeah and i think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier is just being this being the ceo of your own your own brand and being truly in control of your own destiny um, and being your own cheerleader yeah being your yeah. own cheerleader absolutely yeah yes. uh, love the plug um, <laughs> <laughs> um no your book is awesome though um you should totally send me an autographed copy um, i will <laughs> But um, I think, well, how do, so, and I'm sure you've seen this because you've been in corporate world way more than I have of people that become so reliant on their jobs, right? And, and it's, you know, for, for, we'll use you as an example. Obviously you weren't that victim, but, you know, you become like some of these people you know, you've, you've become so reliant on this job and then all of a sudden just out of nowhere you get fired and then you're devastated, right? Because now, you know, you might have kids, you got bills, you know, you have, might have medical, like all these things. How do people get out of this rat race of what the idea we're sold? We go to school, we get good grades, we go to college, we get good grades, we get a nine to five job at a big company that gives us, you know, mediocre pay with mediocre benefits. And we do that for 40 years. And then we retire at the age of 65. And if we're lucky, we got 15 years to enjoy the rest of our life. That is insanity to me. Like nothing about that sounds like a good idea. How do people empower themselves to get out of that? I think it's to not tie your identity with what you do. So have things that you enjoy doing outside of work, right? Don't have your whole job be your whole identity. You know, many of the people I coach, they do other things for like mm -hmm. they have passion projects. So as they find some passion projects and start identifying with other aspects of your personality versus just you at work, because if you're just at work, you're right. You will be dependent on that thing. And if it's no longer there, then who are you? So it's really self-awareness self as to like, who am I and what do I want to be known for? What are things I, I'm passionate about? These are questions that we want to start asking ourselves, especially for those of us that have been in corporate America for so long. It's like, that's all you know. It's almost like you're a robot. It's like, I'm right. going to get my paycheck. And it's that's absolutely it. a robot. Yeah. 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 You're a robot. And it's like, okay, this is not life. Life is more than your job. So what are the things that make you jump out of bed in the morning? Absolutely. And, and I, I would add to that is to remember, you can monetize just about anything nowadays. Um, I know a person that, uh, that they love to draw and that that's actually their career. They, they, they drew for Marvel for a while, like the Mar Marvel comics, like they just love to draw. So they created a website where they make videos and sell them to people teaching them how to draw right yeah you you can literally monetize anything nowadays you just have to you know have that personal brand and, and you have to you know like you say be your own self-advocate and put yourself out there 
And, and I would say, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. no I, I was just going to say that I also think maybe you don't need to monetize because you can still have your job for the stability and the security, but have the things that you love to do as your mm -hmm. passion projects. Because sometimes we can't monetize to the point because I have a lot of clients who they are scared. They have these golden handcuffs because they're in this corporate job. They make great money. They have great benefits and the benefits are for their partners, for their children. So they can't necessarily leave what they what they're doing. So then I say, OK, find the things that that you love and do those. And those aren't for money. Those are just because you truly enjoy them. So you can do both. You can you can work for your job and for that organization. But then you can also have your things that you really enjoy doing on the side that bring you joy. But I mean, and I'm not trying to be argumentative. I mm -hmm. just, the idea of having handcuffs, whether they're iron or golden, <laughs> either way, I don't like it. Like, is that I'm, just no, my personality? I'm with, I, I'm with you because we're, we're solopreneurs or entrepreneurs, but there are folks that for whatever reason, that's not an option for them. So I don't mm -hmm. want to be judgy and say no you have to love what you do and wake up and jump out of bed every morning that's not really realistic because even as entrepreneurs there's days when we probably don't feel like <laughs> jumping out of bed and doing what we do yesterday so, yeah. right so you know having golden handcuffs may be okay as long as your your perspective on it is okay mm -hmm. i guess that's fair because for me like you 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 said that and my skin crawled like <laughs> that's not okay like I, I guess maybe it's just my my personality. Like I, I can't be in that position. That would kill me. That would make right. me and, miserable. And likewise for me. So I think you and I are similar in that way, but there are people that for whatever reason, they need the, they need to have those golden handcuffs for their current right. situation. Yeah, I guess that's fair. I guess that's fair. So um, your book, uh, Be Your Own Cheerleader, uh, where can people find that? Is that on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, everywhere? everywhere. 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 Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Goodreads, anywhere you can find books, it's there. Be your own cheerleader. Is there an audiobook version? Yes. And I was I recorded it. So Oh, cool. How was that process? Was that crazy? It was crazy. And also for for those folks that are listening that are aspiring authors, know that you actually have to audition to read your own book. Really? So I, yes. So I wasn't automatically chosen to be my own auditor. I had to audition for it. <laughs> That is crazy. What was that? Like you just sat down and read your book that you wrote? Yeah, you you send in sort of reels as if you're an actor and your act, you know, your voice is being assessed. So you send in audition reels and then you just get hopefully get selected. That's crazy. I would be so ticked off if like when I finally write a book and if I don't get it due, well, I, I won't even try because I don't like the sound of my voice, but um if I did try and they're like, no, you can't narrate your own book. I'd be, give me my book back, dude. <laughs> no, me I mean, so from mad. the publisher's perspective, they want to make sure there's going to be sales. So they just want to make sure that you can, right. you know, speak, speak with confidence. Right. And speak clearly and enunciate. Speak clearly. And, and, yeah. Right. Exactly. So all of those things they're assessing for. Don't, don't have a voice that sounds like Kermit the Frog. Um, totally. Get it. It's just like, like that, like, I guess I have to wrap my mind around it a little bit because I hadn't realized that. And so I thought that was just a given. If you wanted to narrate your own book, you did. And so no, like, <laughs> wow, yeah, <laughs> that's crazy. All right. So uh, we're running up on a tiny loose. So go ahead and tell us real quick if people want to work with you or just learn more about you, 
Um, where can they go to, to, to find you? So you can go to my website, neelucor.com. I'm very active on LinkedIn and also Instagram under my name, neelucor. And that is K-A-U-R. Yes. Um, all right, Neelu. So um, all my guests, they get the uh, honor of having the final word of wisdom before we go. So my final question to you is what advice um, do you have for the listeners on how they can lead their lives like champions? To be their own cheerleader. <laughs> yes, have the courage to speak up and share your accomplishments and all of the things you do did so that you can, to your point, create your personal brand, even in an organization. Or if you're in an organization or an entrepreneur, there's a personal brand. I love it. Yeah, absolutely. Be your own cheerleader, folks, so you can lead like champions. I love it. Two sports references in the same <laughs> mantra. Perfect. Yes. Anyway. All right, everybody. So that's going to wrap up this week's episode of the Renowned Leadership Podcast. I am your amazing host, Stephen Morris. She is Nilu Kaur. Thank you so much for joining us. I will see you all next week. And in the meantime, everybody, do not forget to lead like champions. Goodbye. How I try to sleep, but you're deep in my mind. Got a hold of me. When I'm awake, I'm all blind. All right, everybody, that's going to wrap up this special Christmas Eve episode. I want to thank Nilu for coming on with me. It was an absolute pleasure to have her. And there is still time. I mean, if you're listening to this today on Christmas Eve to go get that last minute uh, stocking stuff or be your own cheerleader by Nilu Kaur. It is a great gift for that special woman in your life, your mom, your wife, your daughter, or go get it for yourself. It is an awesome book. I highly recommend it. And don't forget to go check out Nilu at nilucore.com. It's N-E-L-U-K-A-U-R.com. And once you're done doing that, go check out renownedleadership.com. Give me some love as well. I will see you all tomorrow. Got another special Christmas episode coming out tomorrow. It is going to be amazing. It's one of the best conversations I've ever had. So make sure you tune in tomorrow as well when you have time driving uh, back and forth from your family get-togethers and all that. So I hope you all have a safe and happy holiday. I will see you all tomorrow. And in the meantime, lead like a champion. Goodbye, everybody.